This week on A Lively Experiment, Governor Raimondo breaks her seven-week silence. And the second impeachment of now former President Trump gets underway, with Congressman David Cicilline right in the thick of it. After a betrayal like this, there cannot be unity without accountability. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with the analysis, former Attorney General Arlene Violet, Pablo Rodriguez, retired professor at the Warren Albert Medical School, and former State Representative Nick Gorham. Welcome to Lively, everyone. I'm Jim Hummel. Donald Trump's second impeachment trial got underway this week. We'll have much more on that a little bit later. But first, Rhode Island remains in limbo as Governor Raimondo continues to refuse to resign until she's confirmed as Commerce Secretary for President Biden. And a lot of that is being delayed because of the impeachment trial. She told two reporters who surprised her outside the State House this week that she continues to do her job quote, with gusto. Arlene, let me begin with you. It seems that part of that job, a big part of that job, is getting up on stage every Thursday to answer our questions and, by extension, uh, the state of Rhode Island's questions. I wonder what you think about the optics as this continues to go on. Well, first of all, uh, in politics, it's always expect the unexpected. And yes, everyone thinks she's going to be confirmed, but she's smart and not resigning right now. It's irrevocable if she were to resign as governor and then, oops, you know, Ted Cruz and company prevail relative to her appointment. So blaming her for not stepping down, I think, is really quite untoward. Having said that, uh, she was coming out of the state house. That means she was over there working. So again, the rap she's taking for not being available, et cetera, I think, again, is totally out of proportion. As you know, you asked uh, even Dr. Alexander Scott uh, during the press conference last week about uh, her presence. And uh, the doctor said she's an absolute uh, genius. She's present. She does want to uh, yield a bit in order for uh, Dan McKee to get a little better known to the public, et cetera. So she's in a tough place. I think she's doing the best she can. And asking her to step aside, I think, uh, is, is frankly ridiculous. Well, I also think, though, and Nick, let me go to you, is that if this was a Republican Congress, uh, Senate, and you had Ted Cruz bending people's ears, this this is going to go through either way. I mean, to me, there's no question that the Democrats... Arlene, answer that, and then we'll go to Nick. What do you think about that? There's always a question. Expect the unexpected. Okay. okay? Like a second impeachment, unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's governor, let her serve, step aside when she gets appointed, if she gets appointed. Nick? Well, isn't isn't the real problem here the gag order, which I'm sure is not self-imposed by the governor? The real problem is that the governor's job includes a big part of it is, uh, you know, being open, talking to the press, communicating with your constituents, all one million of them in Rhode Island. And she hasn't since December 22nd until these reporters besieged her outside the state house. That's that's just a terrible way to run a state. And I'm sure that the gag order that she's been following has been imposed by the Biden administration. Why don't they just, if they're so sure she's going to be confirmed, why can't she talk to the people of Rhode Island? What's the big deal with that? 
Yeah, she Pablo. should be. She should be more open. I understand she's in a tough spot. I agree with Arlene. But you know what she could do is a superpower move. Say the heck with it. I'm going to talk to the people of Rhode Island. I'm going to start communicating. Everybody would be cheering her. Yeah, Pablo. I don't, I don't, I don't know, Jim. I'm, I'm going to have to get myself a, a Republican Party membership card because I agree, <laughs> you know, with Nick. Um, Wait that, a minute. But, let's get this on lively for posterity. Common ground. <laughs> it's no, unity. No, but, but, unity. But this is the problem. You know, when you are governor, it's like, like it's like being pregnant. You cannot be a little bit pregnant and you cannot be a little bit governor. Um, and in the middle of a pandemic, it is essential for a, a single message to be going out. It is essential for it to be one governor at a time. And even the, the, the director of the health department, you know, saying, you know, oh, we, I've been in touch with both governors. Well, you know, that doesn't inspire confidence. Uh, you need somebody in charge and you need somebody that can that can speak to the press and speak to the public at all times. Uh, and I think the gag rule, last, like um, Nick just said, uh, it's been it's been the issue. It's not the issue of not resigning. It's the issue of being governor, but not being accessible. Yeah, Arlene, what about that? That uh, Look, I think if she was up there on the stage, I, I can't imagine what she would say that would jeopardize her confirmation. She's done 125 of these briefings, and she told Patrick Anderson and Kim Kalunian from Channel 12 uh, the other day when they kind of ambushed her outside, well, I'm giving the lieutenant governor a chance to step forward, but he's not running those press conferences because he's not the governor. So what about that? Do you think she could take a little bit more forward presence as long as she's not going to resign and be governor, as you said? There's no perfect scenario here under any of the circumstances that are involved. Uh, Alexander Scott uh, did a terrific briefing last Thursday. Obviously, she's still the voice of the governor relative to the briefing. There's always been this issue of keep to the science. Certainly, uh, that's what Dr. Alexander Scott is doing. You know, I think Dan McKee burned himself, quite honestly, uh, when he started rearranging the priorities uh, of Dr. Rodriguez and that expert <laughs> panel uh, that they have on who should get the shots. He, right out of the gate, started acting politically, trying to make kissy kissy up to the teachers by saying, oh, we'll inoculate uh, them first. We'll get all the politicians, including the General Assembly, et cetera. So you remember now, she's not the whole story here, Governor Raimondo. There's other constituent moving elements, one of which uh, was the mistake Dan McKee made just coming out of the gate. Yeah, but she's still the governor. And the governor is, is the, the governor, one who needs to speak to the people. And she could do it if she wanted to. <laughs> You know, we can go around and around with this, but she's the governor. She's the I governor wish you, I, I wish the sworn in as, as uh, Commerce Secretary, and she's not talking to the people or the press. There's no excuse for that. The Biden administration should just give her a little bit of leeway, or like I said, uh, the governor should just say, you know what, the heck with it. I'm going to start talking to the people. Well, people do delegate to uh, their administration, and I wish that I'm a Republican, basically, but all the Republicans who are criticizing her, where was their voice months ago when uh, Mr. Trump was inventing stolen elections? He never came out and talked to, to us about anything, causes an insurrection, and now we're having him. the problems with the vaccine because he wasn't on the job then. Why don't we focus on that? Well... Because because we're talking about the governor. That's 
That's called yeah. a little whataboutism. Uh, Nick, before we go to the, uh, the vaccine, and I, we're fortunate to have Pablo on because he's been on that board. Let me just ask you before we move on from the governor. The, the flip side of that is there's a lot of going out the door appointments. One, Jack Revens, they kind of dusted him off uh, to take the PUC, and that doesn't even expire until March 1st. And then the CRMC uh, appointments that have been pulled back. So, Nick, let me begin with you when I see Arlene shaking her head. But, Nick, why don't you start? Uh, shouldn't have made the appointments. Uh, should have left it for her successor. There was nothing urgent about filling uh, the um, the vacancy on on the PUC. And uh, Marsha Gold has been doing a job the job for a long time, and I think it was a huge mistake. Um, I know Jack Revens, uh, nice guy, but let's face it, he's a career politician. He's been to the very top. He was Senate Majority Leader who ran for. Uh, higher office a few times, um, it's pretty clear. It's a purely political appointment, purely. And, you know, doing that while she can't speak to the people, bad move, bad move. Arlene? I agree with Nick. She stepped into political hackism again, which she uh, has been wont to do. Uh, and, and frankly, you need on the Public Utilities Commission someone who's an expert in energy policy. Uh, believe me. And I, I know Attorney Revens, excellent guy, uh, family law, etc. And I just wish uh, that uh, she hadn't put someone in who doesn't have the necessary uh, scientific background. The same for the CRMC. I hope we get to talk about that a little bit later with those with those appointments. But no, she had, uh, that was hucksterism at its best. So that's the, another that's a downside of her. Not not that she's hanging in by her fingertips to the governor's role. Pablo. Where, where do I send my application? Again, you know, <laughs> it, it, it really it makes no sense to do these kinds of appointments at the last minute. Uh, you know, it, it would have been absolutely perfectly appropriate for her to sit down with McGee and say, listen, I need you to do this for me, period. And, you know, he could have said yes or no. But, you know, now what we do is that we create this appearance of impropriety of inside gains that really do we do not need more of in Rhode Island. People are already cynical enough. Uh, and this, you know, coupled with the CRMC situation, and uh, it, it creates an appearance of um, inside jobs that we don't need. In well, the other thing is, it looks like a pension boost. Jack Revan spent years in the legislature at a very small salary. Now, if he's in there at $139,000, all of a sudden his pension goes up. Arlene, go ahead. No, you're absolutely right in terms of the pension bunk up that's going to happen here. Uh, well, she's totally wrong uh, doing that, that's for sure. And uh, it really bespeaks the dark side uh, of her governorship uh, that she tries to stunt on the way out the door. Well, let's look at the big picture. By the way, Pablo, your application's been accepted. Um, <laughs> no, 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 he applied for lieutenant governor. He wants Here's to be lieutenant point. governor. Oh, 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 all right. <laughs> well, anyway, how can these things happen? All these things we're going to be talking about today that we seem to be constantly talking about. Well, Rhode Island, the deepest, bluest state in the country. It's not good when you have one party in control. All the congressional seats, both of the senatorial seats, all the general officers, massive majorities in the General Assembly. This is what you get. I hope the people of Rhode Island realize that. When you have such a lopsided government, you get a lopsided result. 
So one of the one of the byproducts of uh, I had done a story for last Sunday's journal, which has had huge re- re- reverberations now. The Champlin's deal on Block Island. Now the Attorney General Peter Narona is getting involved in process. Arlene, you talked about CRMC. I think there was enough question about how that came about that the Senate leadership, I think rightly so, said, whoa, maybe we want to take a further look at that. And just yesterday, we're taping on Thursday morning, they pulled those nominations back. So Arlene, talk a little bit about where that fits in and your thought about these, particularly CRMC. Congratulations on a great story that you did, Jim Hummel. Also, I think it's critically important that Peter Nerona became involved in this. Kudos to him for getting involved. This story drives me crazy, quite honestly, because it personifies what Nick Gorham was just talking about. And that is the politicization of of everything that happens in Rhode Island. So, for example, in that one story, in comes uh, former Chief Justice uh, Williams to uh, moderate, mediate uh, this particular quote unquote settlement. And yet he sees nothing wrong in doing that when a case is pending before his former colleagues up in the uh, Rhode Island Supreme Court. First of all, if you're even going to have a mediation, it shouldn't be for him, uh, with him in terms of the undue influence. In comes uh, Mr. Goldberg, a good attorney, but his wife, theoretically, we're paying close to $250,000 a year for her salary, her health care, her pension. She'd have to recuse herself in that. But why can't hubby get another job? And why should we have to, as taxpayers, have to pay when she has to recuse herself? And that's the attitude that we have here in Rhode Island that really aggravates me. So, yes, your story was fabulous. Good for Peter Nerona. But what the heck is the matter with people who are so awash in conflicts uh, this week, including, of course, Smiley? Yeah, yeah. Brett Smiley, we'll get to it in a minute. Nick, you want to weigh in on that? I know you have an eye on Block Island. Sure. Well, the thing that I can't understand is that the town of New Shoreham and the Committee for the Great Salt Pond and the Black Island Conservancy were all interveners. When you're an intervener, you have a right to be heard. And that should have been a red flag when they said, we don't want to mediate. That means that the mediation is not going to work. And obviously it did not. It didn't work. It has not brought a mediated result that the parties all of the parties and the interveners are happy with. And if you have any doubt about the importance of having coastal communities participate in decision-making, it's right in the, the CRMC statute. The coastal communities are supposed to be represented and no community is more coastal than Block Island because memo here, yeah. it's surrounded by water. <laughs> yeah. So Last week. It, it's, it's, really um, a bad result, should have been better executed. There might have been a way to resolve this, but this is not the way. Yeah, Jim, I thought, uh, well, as I was reading your article, I thought that you were wrong. When I was reading about Judge Williams, you know, former Supreme Court justice doing a mediation, I thought, you know, and I'm not a lawyer and I don't play one on TV. Um, when I hear the word mediation, I hear every party involved to try to come up with a settlement. And as I finish the article and I read, wait a second, they excluded one important part in the mediation, the people that are against the, the proposal. 
I, I, I couldn't understand for my life, how can you have a mediation that doesn't include the people that are against the proposal? It and makes absolutely no sense. And it really, you know, I feel bad for Judge Williams because, you know, his reputation is on the line, you know, with this, with this settlement. Well, and the one thing we should know before we go on, because I do want to get to COVID. The one thing is, look, Frank Williams pioneered this mediation uh, program when he was at the Supreme Court for the mandatory you have to go into it so we can save the court time and effort. This was strictly voluntary. Arlene, you know there's a little bit of a, on an administrative appeal without getting too much into the weeds. It's voluntary. So they, the people out on Block Island didn't want any part of it because they're like, well, we don't want to give them what they haven't been able to get in litigation. So I think that's important to note is that it was voluntary. It was not mandatory. So... Let's continue, uh, Pablo. Again, fortunate to have you on. You have been on Governor Raimondo's vaccine board. You and I actually had a spirited discussion while we were waiting for Nick and Arlene to come on. Tell us for the people who are like, look, what is going on? We had this great plan, but my grandma, my 86-year-old grandmother can't get it. What do you see happening that's addressing some of these problems going forward? Well, I think that, you know, going forward as more vaccines become available, as we move into the general population, you know, there's going to be, you know, less criticism. But we have to be really honest with ourselves. The state of Rhode Island is only getting 15,000 doses for everything, for first and second doses. And this is something that the previous administration had promised, a reserve amount that was going to be coming in you know, at later dates. And after the election, we came to know that there was no such reserve. People, we have 95,000 healthcare workers and people in nursing homes. We have 90,000 diabetics. We have, you know, 15,000 first responders. We have 87,000 people over the age of 65. These are a lot of people that require, that could use this vaccine. And, you know, to think that we are going to be able to move into the general population, you know, with, with any expediency is not right. And, you know, like Arlene said about the, about the teachers, I mean, I feel for the teachers. I know how they feel. Uh, this job at the Vaccine Subcommittee has been the hardest job I've done at the health department. But we were given a charge. We were given a mission to prevent hospitalizations and prevent deaths. And when you follow the data, we know who are the people who are dying is the people uh, of advanced age and people in high density communities. So we have to decide uh, we have to balance peace of mind for most of the population versus rest in peace. Arlene, go ahead and jump in. You need central registration. Uh, I mean, obviously, we can't control uh, the vaccines coming in. It should be done, by the way, pro rata, because Rhode Island has a higher percentage of elderly uh, than other states. So that should have been one of the factors in terms of uh, the distribution. But having said that, it's a potpourri out there. Uh, this city's doing this, that town's doing that. Central registration, Dr. Rodriguez, central registration. 
It just, it just, we, we don't have it at this point. We have a central registration once the vaccine is administered. You know, that is creating the, the, a, a rich set of data, but we don't have the time to set up a, a central registration, you know, that would also be coupled with distribution. And, and I think that's the problem. Uh, we have not invested in public health in this country for many, many years. When I was a child, you knew where to go to get your vaccinations because because there was a unit in every town that did that. We have lost a lot of support for public health in this country. And this pandemic has given us the, uh, the proof that we need to invest much more. Nick? Well, Rhode Island's a little distinct. Uh, we've invested in public health more than just about any other state. That's why everybody who doesn't have health, have health insurance wants to come here. And that's why our state is so, is so heavily burdened with things that we can't pay for. And here we have the COVID rollout and we can't get it right. We're the smallest, most compact population state in the country and we can't get this right. Even with all the money that we've invested in healthcare in this state for decades and we can't get this right. And the reason is because we don't have a, a two-party system in this state that produces a, a, a robust form of government. And you this can has take nothing it to do with want, politics. Pablo, but that's one of the symptoms. That's one of the. This has nothing to do with politics. This has to do with a limited supply, all the time. a limited supply of vaccine for a large group of people that could use it and could well, be, whose lives could be saved by it. When well, you don't have enough supply, you cannot prioritize everybody because if you prioritize everybody, you don't prioritize anybody. Well. But but why is Rhode Island lagging so far behind? So many we are other only states? lagging. We, we are only lagging. We are only lagging because we continuously look at this issue as if it was a race and 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 ranking states by the by the percentages. That is not the way that you determine success in medicine. We determine success about life saved and hospitalizations prevented, and well, we are doing well, so well, much better than many many other states. That's one thing. The other thing that you need to take into consideration is that when you look at both vaccines, at the two dosages, Rhode Island is 21st, you know, in, among the states that have administered both doses. We have covered every nursing home, which is where the deaths are happening. So we are working where, where the fire is burning the most intensely. All right, let's we'll continue this. We'll continue this maybe a little in our online bonus segment. I do want to get we have about six minutes left. I do want to get to impeachment. Arlene, let me begin with you. Um, I don't even know where to begin to unpack this, but you and I were going back and forth a little bit about look, you're a Republican. I know you've had some issues with what's going on with this administration. Just tell me what you think in terms of this moment in time going forward. A lot of Some of the Republicans have said they don't even think we should be doing this. Obviously, the impeachment manners think otherwise. What are your thoughts as you watch this second impeachment unfurl this week? As of this film, we haven't seen the uh, rebuttal and or any uh, potentially remediated elements to the defense by uh, the president. But having said that, uh, certainly it is a damning indictment. Uh, I quite agree that if this is an insurrection behavior, I don't know what in fact is. And I think this is a very critical time uh, for Republicans. Uh, and they're either going to gain the party back or they're not. 
Uh, I think the Republican Party is as much on trial as Donald Trump is. And quite honestly, yes, I'm a Republican like, uh, you know, the Nick Gorham's and Brad Gorham's of the world, Makeley, Lincoln Allman, Claudine Schneider, Sappinsley, people who really had a sense of public service as opposed to self-preservation. And I, for one, am going to be deeply disturbed if, if those people in the Senate turn out to be as gutless as they seem to be right now. There's absolutely no question, unless there's some evidence that we haven't seen that will rebut uh, the president's behavior, uh, he should definitely uh, be barred from further office. And I just hope that they have some courage and guts uh, in the U.S. Senate to do that. Nick? Uh, <clears throat> impeachment trials do one thing. That's been proven. They divide a nation. There's no point in doing this. The Clinton trial he did not, disaster. He, just, he divided the nation, not them. It was an unmitigated disaster, and the Republicans who insisted on having it suffered for it, deservedly so. Judge, uh, excuse me, uh, Joe Biden came in as the bring together president. Uh, the silence is deafening. If he wants to bring people together, he should have said something about the fact that this trial would divide the country. It's doing exactly that. It's dividing everybody. There are 75 million people or 74 and change million people who voted for Donald Trump. If you think the trial is going to disenfranchise them from Donald Trump, I think you're dead wrong. Those people voted for him because they believed in him. And it just makes absolutely no sense with such a closely contested election. And this trial is about the election to just drive the wedge deeper into the log and keep splitting people apart. It's a I, bad idea. And the, there's not even there's no rules of evidence. This is just a political show. And everybody knows it. Closely contested election. I, I, I maybe maybe we're watching a different uh, result, and this is precisely the problem. What we have is millions of people disenfranchised from the truth, and what this trial is doing is basically airing out the truth, showing to the American people that this was a big lie about election fraud, that Donald Trump lost this election on a landslide, uh, and, and that you know his behavior from even before the election and through the 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 election uh, was against democracy was against you know the american people and january 6 became the culmination of that effort uh, and let me tell you something i I could give him the benefit of the doubt that his words were not exactly saying, go there and burn up the Capitol. But after the invasion, after the, the sedition begins and he tweets against Mike Pence and he tells them, I love you and love you're you. special. And, 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 you, and you say, remember this day forever? I mean, come on, is that a guy who is defending the American people and the Constitution? No, he is it, it, he is committing treason against the United States. Nick? Well, he's already out of office, and um, I don't think the election was a landslide. It was a landslide in turnout. It was the largest turnout ever. So Trump got more votes than any Republican ever, 
and and Biden got more votes than any Democrat ever. So you know, not any president ever, not any president ever. And, and you know what? That's going to produce a landslide of division if you just keep banging the wedge in. And this this trial is about nothing but trying to destroy the Republican Party. Trying right, to make Arlene, people don't have it too. Arlene, Arlene, you get the last minute. Arlene, go ahead. The Republicans are destroying the Republican Party if they do not stand up as true patriots and preserve the principle of free election and and the electoral college. Well, and that's what you do. Well, Arlene, you don't what, uh, go what, like a sore loser and tell everybody I was robbed. I was this. You know, I've lost elections. Move on. The Republicans in the Senate have to listen to this trial, and they are. The trial is being put on at the behest of the majority. Don't forget that. And the majority is the Democrats in the Senate. The Republicans are listening. They haven't even given their vote yet. How can you condemn them at this point? You can't. I'm not condemning them. I, 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 it still is open as to whether they're going to be gutless wonders or not. But certainly their comments pre-impeachment, Nick, certainly suggests that they're not open to even listening to the evidence. You have a duty to the country, not to your party. Your party comes second. The United States of America comes first. All right, all right, wait a minute. I got to jump in. That is all the time we have. We blew through outrageous, but folks, we're going to continue this online. It's our online bonus segment, Lively Extra. Nick, take a sip of water. Arlene, take a breath. (laughs) Pablo, I don't know what you're going to do, but we will be back. For the, go to go online. Republican Party. RIPBS.org slash lively. Nick and uh, Arlene and Pablo, great to have you on this week. Folks, go online right now to check. The rest of you come back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great week. Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.